As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Betty and the Sky with the Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline and I'm also an avid traveler. So I bring you stories from the airplane, from the pilots who fly those airplanes, and from traveling around the world. This episode is called The Witch and the Famous. I've got one witch story and then all the rest are a cast of familiar famous names. This episode is actually starring... Arnold Palmer, Elvis, Andre the Giant, Little Richard, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Travolta, Russell Crowe, Robert Redford. And then at the end of the episode, there's a gentleman who is not famous, but very impressive nonetheless. Basically, this whole episode is about impressions, lasting impressions that we make on one another. Let's get started with The Wit. Serving on one side of the 747 on the way to Rio at night from Miami, and my flying partner Zoe was kind of known to be mean to customers and didn't really care too much. Anyway, this one gentleman came over to me and said, I'd be much obliged if you would come and serve me. That woman is a witch. So I asked Zoe if she'd mind changing sides, and she said, Why? What's the problem? So I told her what the gentleman had said. She said, He called me what? I said, He called you a witch. So she went over there and said, Sir, did you call me a witch? She said, Yes, I did. And so she said, Poof, you're a piece of ass. <laughs> and what you cannot see is that a walk's leave a trail and to take it like a train on a rail. Well, I was uh, flying around the southeast one uh, afternoon. I was finishing up my trip in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And we were following a, a Northwest Airlines, which has a, uh, a base there in Memphis. We're following them in, and uh, tower cleared uh, the Northwest flight to uh, land. And the pilot in Northwest Airlines says, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, tower, without a skipping a beat, says, welcome home. <laughs> and uh, that made my day that day. Feels the same, and love can make one feel his own name. I'm just a little boy. 
next story is about a celebrity, and when it's a negative story, in the past what I've liked to do is not use their name and just describe them. But I believe this actor has a thick enough skin that it's okay if I just go ahead and use his name. So I was on a New York layover. It was a long New York layover, and some friends of mine were also on the crew, so we went out to this uh, Mexican restaurant in New York that's famous for its pomegranate margaritas. And I suppose I had uh, one more than I should have because I was not feeling very well the next day. And let me tell you, you do not want to have even the slightest hangover when you're working on the airplane. But uh, sometimes, you know, just happens and you got to deal with it. So I was feeling rather green and uh, not looking my best, that's for sure. And uh, I had finished the service and I was sitting, you know, we don't have lots of times a good place to sit. So I was sitting basically on a drawer I was using as a stool. So I'm sitting very low to the ground in the galley. And Russell Crowe walks up to me and says, can I have a water? And my mouth just, I'm looking up at him and my mouth just dropped open because I am a fan. I think he's a, a terrific actor. And nobody had told me he was on the plane. And I I basically just sat there stunned for a moment. He was so handsome. He's much more handsome in person and very masculine. Basically, I just kind of went weak in the knees and I got up and I got him a water. And then I went back to the other flight attendants and I'm like, you guys, how come nobody told me that Russell Crowe is in first class? Because I had been working coach. And they're like, who's Russell Crowe? <laughs> Which I thought was funny, but I had been a fan and this was before Gladiator, but it was after L.A. Confidential and Romper Stomper and Virtuosity. He'd been in a lot of movies. So I started, you know, naming a lot of the movies they were, he was in. And they were like, oh, I don't, know, I don't know. Who is he? Which one is he? Point him out to us. So we go to the back of first class and I, I point him out and they said, you mean the pig? <laughs> That's the nickname they had been given, had already given him because he had very sloppy, brutish eating habits and maybe some of his behavior. He was sitting there with his then girlfriend, who is now his wife. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that guy. And they they were like, oh, we've been calling him the pig. <laughs> well, I ran into that uh, particular flight attendant a few years later, after Gladiator had come out and Russell Crowe had become a big star. And I'm like, so Tracy, what do you think of the pig now? <laughs> And she did have to admit that she really did like his movies. And uh, she's like, yeah, but he still is a really messy, sloppy eater. <laughs> so he had definitely made an impression on those flight attendants. I do. First off, just like to to let you know how honored I am to be in the present presence of the world's first flight attendant podcaster. I'm actually just in awe of that, to be honest with you. But my favorite passenger, and and, and likewise, you just you run into so many people, varied and diverse, and 
you know, Vander Holyfield to Bob Dole to Montel to just the list just goes on and on. Sports figures to eventually, you know, everybody flies. So, but by far, Memphis to Dallas, 5.30 pushback. So it's, imagine the Memphis airport way in the wee, wee hours of the morning walking into the main terminal and there in full pancake makeup is little Richard who is not little he's huge not fat if you're listening huge pancake makeup this is maybe seven years ago or so huge hair no entourage just him howling at 530 and I just you just he was like a flame and these moths were just flickering. So I'm a musician, blues musician, and just went up and I said, just, you know, little Richard, I just appreciate your con- contribution to our society. And I just really have always, and he just get hugged me. I'm in my uniform and coming into work and just brilliant, man, just glowing. Signs the pictures for me, one for my mother. And then we, you know, oh, I'm going to Dallas. Oh, he's so excited. So he sticks his head in the cockpit. Kid, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and we get him to Dallas, and he, he's just by himself. This is just little Richard. He gets on one of the carts that had these horseshoe terminals, and he gets on the back of an electric cart, the passenger assistant cart, gets the guy to drive him around just so he could wave. And he spent about 30 minutes. Every now and then you hear this, Jamie Lee Curtis on a flight from Salt Lake City to Los Angeles and we were in an oversold situation and a mother and her son, he was about 12, were not going to get on, both get on the flight. So uh, Jamie Lee Curtis happened to be sitting in the front row in first class and had three seats, one for her infant, one for her other child and then herself. And she said, asked if there was something that she could do. And we said that a mother and a child we're going to be separated and she offered to hold her uh, younger child which was under two and we checked her car seat and it, this allowed the mother and child to both get on the plane. I know this was a first class seat that she paid for. That's correct. She paid full fare for the seat and she was willing to hold her uh, under two under two year old child on her lap which she can do um, so this other child could get on. The mother went to the main cabin and the and the son got on and was sitting down next to her child. And as the mother passed by her in first class, she said, well, how much Coke do you want your son to have? Because they will keep bringing it to him. But um, I went back to the back later on to talk to the mother and let her know that Jamie Lee Curtis was keeping an eye on her son. And and she just said, well, that was really nice of her to do that. And I said, well, do you know who it was who, who moved, you know, moved the seat? And she said, no. And I said, well, that's Jamie Lee Curtis. And she had no idea who it was. So... She was a really great lady, very nice to everybody. So. That's really nice of her to do. Oh, absolutely. It was the nicest thing. I mean, you know, anybody could have just let that happen or walk away or not even paid attention to it. But she took the time to, and cared. Yeah, so. that's fabulous. Okay, 
Okay, so you said you were flying into L.A. one day and there was an unusual aircraft? Yeah, I was flying, uh, uh, ending a trip in, into Los Angeles, and I was, I was uh, overhearing what the controllers were talking about, and they told us that we were going to be vectored in behind a uh, heavy 707. And, well, there's just not that many 707s flying anymore. So it kind of piqued my interest, right. thinking the only 707 I know of that's out flying is owned by John Travolta. So I listened a little closer the next time they talked to him, and the, and the end number for his airplane, the one, the registration number, kind of like the license plate on your car, the, the license plate or the end number on this aircraft was N707 Juliet Tango, which would stand for John Travolta. And so I was listening kind of closely to see because I know that he is a pilot and that he does fly. And sure enough, he came on the radio and you could really tell by his voice, by his voice absolutely, that it was him. And he came by that tail number in a kind of an interesting way from what I understand is that he was going to appear on the Oprah Winfrey show and he had owned this 707 and she went out and found who actually owned that tail number on a dip yeah the, the 707 JT on a different airplane and she purchased it for him and gave it to him on the show which is really kind of a neat deal so sometimes you can tell by the tail number who's playing it absolutely I, I was flying on the east coast one night and a November 1 Alpha Papa came on the radio and and a, and a pilot from one of the other airplanes said Arnie is that you <laughs> Meaning, was that Arnold Palmer? And he came on and he said, yeah, I'm up here with my seeing-eye dog. I don't fly by myself anymore. <laughs> and subsequently, I met him outside his airplane. He's got a, a Gulf, a, a Cessna Citation 10. And he's owned you know, Cessnas now for a long time. Um, but he was uh, outside his airplane. And sure enough, on you know the registration was there, November 1, Alpha Papa. It was really fun. <laughs> celebrity made a big impression on me. I was boarding, this was quite a few years ago, on the L-1011. You'll notice there's a lot of stories about the L-1011 because that airplane, it just lent itself to funny stories. There was always problems with it. But we don't have them anymore. And uh, they had these strange overhead bins on the L-1011. They were sort of slanted a strange way and they had large lids, um, covers, doors for the overhead bin. And Andre the Giant, I hope you remember him. He's no longer with us, but he was this big guy. He was a wrestler. He was in a lot of movies. Uh, the Princess Bride, um, just sort of a gentle giant kind of a fellow. And he got on the board and you can't help but notice him. He's very large. And uh, <laughs> he put his things in the overhead bin. And somehow, I didn't see him do it. He yanked the whole bin off. <laughs> I've never seen the the door, the lid to an overhead bin just come off like that. And here he walks up to me in first class on the L-1011 holding the overhead bin door. And he says in the most gentle giant kind of a way, 
And he had this sad look on his face and he said, I broke it. <laughs> I can't I can't even describe to you what Andre the Giant looks like holding <laughs> the overhead bin door. He looked so sad, like, you know, I broke it. So I was like, oh, no, it's okay. We'll just take the stuff out of it and we'll put it in the closet. It's fine. <laughs> just like, I broke it. Oh, he just was seemed like a great guy. Now, this next story, I was kind of hesitant to air because it involves some pilots doing something wrong. So I decided to go ahead and use it because the airline that they flew for is no longer in existence. And the captain, who's the one that actually did something wrong, is no longer flying. The other thing about this story, you might notice some strange editing, but the pilot who was telling the story kept using the captain, who is the one who did something wrong, first and last name. So I had to edit it a lot to not incriminate him. So you might notice some strange editing, but it's a funny story and no harm was done. Was Robert Redford, who happens to live in Salt Lake. Now I'd had a chance to meet him on more than one occasion because in the days while I was an agent, we had what was called a special agent or the equivalent of a red coat, the guy that, so that was me. I, I, I held that job down in Salt Lake on the swing shift for three or four years. And in that period of time, because Robert Redford lives in the Salt Lake area, he was coming through the airport pretty frequently. Four years go by, and I actually did get hired by... um, So, eventually I get hired, right? Uh, One of the very first trips, now I get hired as an engineer on the 737 out of Denver. And one of my very first trips through Salt Lake... Gracious! Yeah, they were all excited. The fact that I'd finally gotten off, you know, off the ground and had, you know, in a way made a kind of dream come true of being able to get a commercial airplane job. But anyhow, I was flying with a, and the most unabashed, uninhibited person I ever met. And I'm walking bet down the concourse, and uh, behind me, this guy says, "Hey, Bobby, Bobby." That's that's my name, right, Robert? So I says, hey, Bobby. And I turned around, and it was Redford. And he says, what are you doing? He said, you got hired. I mean, that is, that is fantastic. I couldn't be happy because he knew he'd sort of followed me along more than once. We'd had this conversation where he knew I was trying to build flight time and trying to get hired. And now here I am in a pilot's outfit, and, which is great. And he's, you know, he's going, man, that's terrific. He said, where are you going? I said, well, yeah, I'm going to Las Vegas. Where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to Las Vegas. He said, we're making a movie down there called The Electric Horseman. We walked down a concourse hunting, okay? He had his head hung out the window looking for, you know, to see who, what was coming on board, who or what was coming on board. So he's got his head out the window, and he sees me come walking out there talking to Bob Redford, right? So we get walk up the steps, and Redford makes a right and goes to the first-class section. And we're almost the last guys. He's, he's re- a very private fellow, just the nicest, couldn't have... He is, he is one genuine, I will say this, if he ever hears this, I always thought you were like one of the most genuine Hollywood stars I ever met. Loved, however briefly it was, having a chance to, to chat with you. But anyhow, so he makes a right-hand turn, goes and sits down in business class. I make a left-hand turn and go into the cockpit. CR turns around and he says, hey, was that Bob Redford you were talking to? 
And I said, uh, yeah, you know, actually it was. He said, well, go back. I said, CR, he's like, he, you know, he's a... No, no, no. He said, don't tell me that. Just go tell him I want to talk to him. And I said, okay. So I open up the door and I go back and, you know, Redford's sitting in first class and I bent over and said, hey, this is going to sound like really stupid. I hate to, hate to say this, but I'm like, I'm an engineer, okay? I just do what what the captain tells me to do. I've been asked this. But would you mind, like, coming to the cockpit and just saying hi to him? So no. I said, that's, you know, I'll do that. Sure. So he gets up out of his seat. We walk into the cockpit, and CR turns around, almost kneeling on his seat, and says, Hey, Bobby, Bobby, come on in here and close the door. And I'm looking at Tony, the co-pilot, going, this can, this can this be happening? You know, what is going on here? And he looks at me and says, No, 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 because I'm like, I, I mean, my eyes now, I'm on probation. Okay, I have, you have to go one year to get off probation, and anything can happen. In one year, if you get caught, like, with anything, if you miss a trip by five minutes, they likely will fire you. I've spent ten years getting here, and now I've got like, in pure violation of the FAA and the company's policy, I've got this movie star guy in the cockpit, right? So, but I'm thinking, you know, no problem. I mean, they'll introduce each other, say hi, and then he'll leave. That's not what CR had in mind at all. He turns to me and he says, "Bobby he said, why don't you move over there? Pull down the jump seat." And uh, Bob Redford, he said, why don't you go ahead and sit in his seat? And I'm looking at Tony, and he's looking at me, and we're both going, you've got to be kidding. And he said, no, no, no. He said, it'll be okay. Nobody's ever going to know. Did anybody see him come up here? I said, well, I don't know. He said, that's okay. Just leave the door closed. Bob he said, I'm a great fan. And he said, love to have you on the airplane. He said, we'll get going here. And he said, I'll show you how to fly this thing. And we are both just like, you know. So, but anyhow, well, he's, I know Redford is sort of looking at me and looking at the captain and looking at me going, what is going on here? I mean, I don't want to, you know, yeah, what is up with your captain? So, anyhow, we taxi out and take off, and we get through 18,000 feet, and so here we are, we're, we're, cli- we're climbing out through 25,000 feet. CR turns to Tony and says, hey, Tony, you got the airplane. I'm going to talk to Bob for a second. And I am just like, now I'm like really, really nervous. I'm thinking, what happens if anybody finds out? I mean, the captain's a senior captain. They're probably not going to do anything to him. And maybe the co-pilot will get a month off. But I'm on probation. I mean, I'm in a position where they they might fire me. You know, if I get an FAA violation over this, uh, I'm done. So I'm I'm, I'm pretty nervous. Um, But, you know... I'm, I'm just hoping nobody has watched what's been going on here. They haven't watched Redford slip into the cockpit. And the, because now the flight attendants ring the call yeah, bell, right? The flight, yeah, attendants, the flight attendants ring and say, hey, do you guys need anything out there? And CR says, nope, tell them we don't need anything. I don't want the door open. So, okay, so no, we don't need anything. Well, anyhow, he turns around and he says, uh, so I'm thinking it's it, this is maybe my career so far, right? Could be. Well, the next thing that happens is CR turns around and says, so how do you like flying, Bob? Says, well, good, CR. I mean, I, I fly a lot. He says, well, you ever fly a 737, Bob? <laughs> and Radford looks at him and says, uh, uh, no, well, actually, no, I, I have not. He said, well, tell you what. He said, Tony, get out of your seat. Bob, talking to me, move over. And Bob, Redford, hop into Tony's seat. 
and I'm just Tony and I are looking and I said now I'm just going oh my god this can this cannot be happening to me it's not you know I'm not worried about the safety of the airplane because you know there is a guy there there but but the idea that you've got this guy sitting in the co-pilot seat never mind the fact that he's a Hollywood superstar but I mean that he's in the co-pilot seat if anybody Anyone. finds out we are, I am personally, I'm done. Uh, but he does. Tony gets up out of the seat and Redford crawls over the center console, no shit, and gets into the co-pilot seat. And CR says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. Put both hands on the yoke here. Put your right hand over here and your left hand over here. Okay. Okay, now it's on the autopilot. Well, first thing I'm going to do here is I'm going to click off the autopilot. So you're going to feel the control column move. Just hold on there and don't do any, make any abrupt movements. And I know Redford, I can see like this look of embarrassment on his face. He's like, to, you know, he's a movie star for crying out loud. For, in the first house, in the first place, he does everything he can whenever he's out in public to sort of be, you know, very low profile. He's not the glitzy Hollywood guy you think he is. And now... He's on my guy's airplane in the co-pilot seat with the autopilot about to be turned off. And he's looking at me like, is this okay? I mean, what's, what, are you sure? Is this going to be safe or what? Anyhow, I turn off the autopilot and, uh, you know, we're 300 miles to Las Vegas. And me wondering if my career is over, you know. And uh, he actually did get... Tony back into the seat for the landing and Redford steps back over to the center over the center console and gets back in the jump seat and now, you know uh, we, we land and the jet bridge comes up and the airplane opens and we wait till all the passengers off and Robert Redford's the last guy off the airplane, last guy I mean, you know, once everybody's cleared off so nobody can see that he's up in the cockpit. Well, the flight attendants had to notice Robert Redford getting out of oh, the they cockpit. Did. Well, I don't think anybody, you know Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, this is like everybody's little secret, right? right? We all promise that nobody is going to say anything to anybody. In the first place, all of our jobs theoretically would be at risk because we've all violated something. You know, not willingly, by the way. I mean, I'll go on the record and say none of us. The only guy. I am, I am the engineer, and I just do what the captain tells me to do, you know? And if it happens to be put Robert Redford in your seat... Well, hey, you know. very interesting. I'm on a flight from uh, Atlanta to Los Angeles and a gentleman standing in the galley said I think you look familiar. You were on my flight from uh, to Kuwait and I yeah. only did one flight last Okay, so um, you were on the on my flight, the one flight yes. I did to Kuwait. So what are the chances that I'd run into you again? Pretty slim. <laughs> okay, and then I was asking when I did those flights, I was asking um, the military personnel if there was anything good in Iraq because, you know, we don't hear anything like that and so you're going to say there is something? Yes. Uh, the sunsets are beautiful. Nice. Makes you uh, think of home. Mm-hmm. And it's the one time that there's a certain uh, silence. And you watch this big sunset in the desert above the trees. And I bet that is pretty. It's, it's, it really is. And for that brief moment, 
you're like not there, sort of speak, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, the kids. What about the kids? They're, I don't know, they're, they're, they're innocent, you know? They have a certain color to their eyes, like I was telling you. Bluish, hazel greens, straight hair, and they're not, uh, they're not covered up and, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, uptight, like everybody, leery of the Americans. They're just free, you know? They come up to your car and, Mr. Chocolate, you know? We throw them chocolates and... Yeah, and sometimes they tell us about things that might endanger us too. So I kind of, you know, they they if you befriend them enough, give them soccer balls, you know, they'll 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 recognize you and tell you don't go down this road or maybe you not come here tomorrow or something oh, like that. Wow, you know? that's great. Very good. Yeah. So you've been there three times. Unfortunately, yes, three times. Well, thank you for all you do. Thank you for all your support. Okay, so you're gonna say another good thing. Yeah, um, this city of Fallujah, you know, it's always on the news for some of the people that we lost over there. But at the same time, we're doing a lot of good. We uh, what? we opened up a water treatment plant over there. Never, when Saddam was in power, they never had clean water. They scooped, they would chase their daughters and everybody to scoop water out of a stagnant pond, which flowed from the streets and people's yards and stuff oh, into yeah. a pond, and that's what they boiled and drank. And so now there's a water treatment. Oh, yes. American taxpayers paid for it, you know? Yeah. And uh, the schools, too. Uh, certain schools in America adopt uh, your unit and then send you, like, pencils, uh, crayons. And, you know, it's sometimes we don't have enough and there's too many kids. So we have to break the crayons in half to give enough to the, people, the kids. And they appreciate small stuff like that. So this kid will have like this half a crayon and he will he will sparingly use it to color stuff, you know? So, and even the schools will send us uh, coloring books. So instead of giving a whole coloring book to a group of kids, you have to tear a page out. Well, sometimes we get really desperate. Like, we get down to the last page, we have to save it so we can Xerox it. <laughs> Make copies, you know? some of those more human stories, you know, because we just don't hear them enough. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together. And who knows, maybe you'll be on my flight someday and make a lasting impression on me.